Give you all a warm welcome to our service today. We'll begin by singing from Psalm 80 and sing psalms. And we'll sing verses 1 to 7. <clears throat> hear, O Israel, shepherd, hear us, Joseph, like a flock you lead. You who are enthroned in glory, shine upon us in our need. We'll sing verses 1 to 7. Shall we pray? We come to you, Lord, conscious that you are God. There are many things we could say about you as we worship you. Our worship has to be intelligent, as well as um, marked by affection and also with a sense of wonder. Uh, we give you thanks that you have revealed yourself in your word, and in your word you highlight uh, various experiences that your people have had. And as we've just been singing, uh, Israel at that particular time uh, was in a very low spiritual condition but yet they realized that the or at least the psalmist realized that the um, the remedy was to see your glory and that's what we need to see as well uh, we live in a world where there's uh, many kinds of um, things designed to impress us but realize that all these things eventually become dim but your glory never diminishes you are the same always the same almighty gracious God and therefore it's good for us to focus upon you as we begin our service just to remind ourselves who you are uh, we can be distracted by many things things happening in life whether personal or or even national uh, 
or perhaps even global and we can um, be disturbed by what we see and hear and we may wonder if everything is just um, uh, collapsing around us but it's good in such situations to look above and to set our affections and things that are above to look at God and to consider your great gracious plan of mercy both how to come into your kingdom and what life is like in your kingdom so Lord we pray that you would reveal yourself to us today as we have our services we pray you remember all of us and indeed each person connected to the congregation according to their own individual circumstances and we just pray that you would draw near and help all of them <coughs> and uh, speak to them in whatever way they need to be spoken to we thank you Lord that you can speak in our souls and we just pray that you would do so Lord we we come to you um, just asking for your help therefore and that you would reveal yourself to us we do pray for our uh, society at the moment we pray for for the king as he has his uh, health concerns and we just pray that you would help him to recover fully from it uh, remember others as who are in position of authority over us we pray that you would remember all of them and guide them in what they're what's facing them as it were as they have to make decisions here and there we just pray Lord that you would give them wisdom for all the issues that arise and we pray for your church um, now very small and even worse than marginalized but we thank you that you are still with your church and we pray that you would um, come in a great revival power and bring great spiritual growth uh, to your kingdom and that many of the millions who currently today are not even thinking remotely about you that you would reveal yourself to them and that they would come into your kingdom we pray Lord that you would then bless every service that's held throughout our country today uh, where every place where the gospel is declared and that each one of them would receive your blessing we pray you'd remember uh, all the young people in our country and uh, growing up most of them without any Christian input in their lives and we just pray that these circumstances would change Lord we ask you to have mercy on our society so we, we pray to be with us remember any who are unable to be here we just commit them to you and we ask you Lord just to speak to us from your word and pardon us we pray for Christ's sake Amen I speak to the children just now about um, something a child said about a minister and don't think they said it to the minister but they said it about him and this minister was when they said it he was getting old but he was a very um, kind man and his name was um, Andrew Boner and it was quite common when he was walking down the streets of Glasgow and he would um, be thinking about other things 
and as he was walking down the street suddenly he would feel a little hand in his hand and that was that one of his congregation had seen him a child in his congregation had seen him and would just start walking beside him holding his hand he had a congregation of over a thousand so probably had plenty of children in his congregation but anyway one of the children described him I don't know what you think of this description but he or she called him the minister with the laughing face the minister with the laughing face and I think that's very nice don't you I mean we can say lots of things about other people and some of the things we might say about other people are not very nice but what that child said about Andrew Boner says a lot about the child and says a lot about the minister the minister with the laughing face so just remember that and uh, and always remember to say nice things about people. We can um, sing again, this time from Psalm 142 in Sing Psalms. <clears throat> I cry for mercy to the Lord, to him I lift my voice in prayer. Before the Lord I bring my plea, to him my trouble I declare. We can sing the whole psalm, Psalm 142, and sing psalms.
Uh, We can read from Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 1 to 16. (coughs) Mentioned uh, two or three weeks ago that I'd just like to go through the Beatitudes any time I'm here. So we'll be looking at uh, verse uh, 4 today. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And may God bless that reading to us. We'll sing again to his praise, this time from Psalm 102 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 365, uh, verses 17 to 22. The prayer of the destitute he surely will regard. Their prayer will he not despise. By him it shall be heard. Verses 17 to 22.
Well, as I mentioned a minute ago, we're going to think about uh, verse uh, 4 of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Sermon on the Mount, as um, I'm sure we <coughs> we know, is um, often recognised as a, a description of the values of Christ's kingdom. Every kingdom has its values, and God's kingdom has them as well. And he he begins the summary of his kingdom by describing the kind of people who are in it. And he does so by these uh, eight Beatitudes that are here in verses 3 to 10. They're a bit like an orange, aren't they? An orange is made up of segments. And if one of them is missing, there's something wrong with the orange, isn't there? And um, here, the can't have one of them, or three of them, or five of them. We need them all. It's a comprehensive summary, we might say, in a very concise manner. He describes them as blessed. Of course, the uh, the blessing is not just connected to the characteristic that he highlights. The blessing is connected to the benefit that these people have because of the characteristic. The blessing that was given to the poor in spirit is the kingdom of heaven. All the resources of God's kingdom as the blessing that's given to the humble. And the blessing that's given to the mourn, mournful, it's not so much that they are mourning, but that they will be comforted. And so on, we can go down the list and just see the, the range of blessings that are provided. Um, some of them occur in this life, some occur in the next life. As we look at this one, blessed are those who mourn. Well, it should raise some questions in our mind, shouldn't it? Is this a, an ongoing um, trait that is seen in their lives? Every day of the week, every hour of the day. Is this what they're to be like? The mournful. Should they always be mourning? From the minute they join the kingdom, right through, all the way. I think it's an important question. Does the fact, if they are meant to be continually mourning, does that mean they're never rejoicing? Well, I suppose when we think of that, we think of Paul's description of himself and others, that they were sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So, both the what we might wish just for make a distinction the negative that's the mourning 
and the positive rejoicing occurred simultaneously. Couldn't get one without the other. So if someone has joy and no mourning, what do we say about that? But if someone has only mourning but no joy, what do we say about that? It's not just Paul that has this um, duo together, we want to put it that way. I mean, Peter, writing in his first letter, as he um, endeavors to encourage these Christians in ancient Turkey as to how they should look at their lives, he says there about them that they have been born again to a living hope and to an inheritance as imperishable and so on kept in heaven for you and they're being guarded by God's power and then he says about this in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials they were rejoicing but they were also being grieved and of course grieves a very strong word it was their circumstances that he's highlighting when about their that was causing their sadness trials and the trials he's referring to of course is persecution and they were going through intense persecution but anyway they were rejoicing and grieved at the same time and it's a curious incident in the Old Testament well at least I thought it was curious but the, um, in the book of Ezra when the, the people of Israel have returned from Babylon and they're starting to rebuild the temple and they start rebuilding it and and we're told that um, the people initially when they saw the commencement of the rebuilding of the temple the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid and the sound could be heard a great way off at the same time Many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, that's the previous temple, they wept with a loud voice. Though many shouted aloud for joy. And then the author of Ezra says this, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. quite strange to try and imagine that isn't it I mean what kind of noise was it that the anybody listening in couldn't distinguish between the the sound of joy and the sound of sorrow it's a kind of unique sound isn't it and maybe that's the normal everyday sound that should ascend to heaven from the members of God's kingdom so I just want us to think about this this character trait of mourning Sometimes when you're stuck, the best thing to do is look up for somebody else says about things. And quite often when I am not making much headway about trying to understand a passage, I find it quite useful to look up what Matthew Henry says. Because he had a quite a intriguing way of explaining things and 
as he looks at this particular beatitude he first of all mentions the speaker he says about Jesus he says Christ was a great mourner that's kind of an, an unusual combination of an adjective and a noun isn't it Christ was a great mourner and of course automatically we should think of Isaiah 53 Jesus was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief your acquaintance is somebody you see every day isn't it and Jesus was acquainted with grief not just a, what you could say a man with an occasional sadness but the man of sorrows we're familiar with his um, two occasions that in the gospels are described as him weeping and one of them is when he wept over the city of Jerusalem because they had spurned him and they didn't pay any heed to his message and as he is two or three days away from the cross and he looks over the city from one of the hills around it we're told he wept and of course he's our example as we head towards Inverness crossing the bridge as it were and seeing all the houses do we weep? well the saviour wept over a city that had far bigger than Inverness but any of our cities and towns and villages Christ was a great mourner and he didn't hide it and of course the other occasion is when he raised Lazarus from the dead and that's a rather unexpected time for him to be mourning because then he comes to the the, the tomb, the cave where Lazarus had been placed and he knows that within the next couple of minutes he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead And he could have said to the people, just wait. You're about to see something incredible. But that's not what he did, is it? Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, and the, the way it's described is with great energy, he wept. No doubt he wept at the sadness of the of the people who were mourning because they had no idea what he was about to do. And no doubt he would have wept because Lazarus was his friend. And the mere fact that Lazarus had been in the grave for three days brought great sorrow to Christ but still he wept and didn't hide it so he's a great mourner you know every day that Jesus went out of the house he saw a beautiful creation 
I mean, Galilee is a beautiful part of the world. But with what eyes did Jesus see the creation around him? Well, he certainly saw a creation that was not what it was meant to have been. Because it had been cursed at the beginning, after man's kind sinned. And even though he could see the Sea of Galilee and the blue sky and the hillsides, and no doubt there was a certain sense of appreciation in his outlook. Yet he knew that everything he saw was not the way it was meant to be. And the master made him sad. And also, every person that Jesus met in his earthly journey, didn't matter who they were, each of them were individuals who didn't give 100% glory to God. Every second of his earthly journey, he gave glory to God. But he never met anyone who shared his intensity. And that must have made him sad. Although he probably, well, he wouldn't have heard of the shorter catechism number one. But he lived it out. Man's defend is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the master made him sad never to meet someone who had full passion for the glory of God. So as Matthew Henry says, he was a great mourner. He also points out that there's three types of mourning. Maybe there's more. Because we have um, no doubt discovered various things about the human psyche that Matthew Henry wouldn't have realized. But he does say there's three types of mourning. I'll just mention them briefly. He says it's a sinful mourning. And that sinful mourning um, is found in the kind of person who just point blank refuses to be comforted. It's, he doesn't phrase it that way, but that's what he means. That uh, there are people who just persist in refusing comfort. And I suppose an obvious one is if we are burdened by our sins and don't don't go to Jesus with them. I mean, that is sinful mourning, isn't it? To be distressed by your sins and not to avail yourself of the remedy. That's, that's a great sin. So there's a sinful mourning. He also points out there might be a natural mourning. But these, this natural mourning, it can be blessed to people. We know we've all heard stories, for example, of a Christian parent who goes home to heaven and their unconverted family members think about that and humanly speaking it's the kind of catalyst that makes them change their lives 
a very sad occasion, mourning for the loss of a loved one. But the Lord in his workings and providence uses it to, to bring them into the kingdom. And no doubt we can think of many examples like that. And the third kind of category that Matthew Henry mentions is what he calls a gracious mourning. And he kind of defines it as having a serious outlook on life. That the person who has it is not marked by frivolity. But realizes that everything is important. There's nothing trivial in life. I was thinking the other day of a very, well, there's many striking verses in the Bible. But one of them is, we shall give an account for every idle word. How many idle words did I speak yesterday? So there's a certain sense when life is serious. It's, it doesn't mean that we are grim-faced or that we are um, morose and dull. But it is a reminder, isn't it, that we're on the way to the judgment seat. There is a gracious morning. And that's the kind that Jesus has in mind here. Just want to think about it briefly. Why should Christ's disciples be sad? And then after that, a few thoughts on the promised comfort. Well, why should they be sad? Now, what happens at the start of the Christian life? We believe in Jesus. But the faith that we have in Jesus, that the disciples have in Jesus, is a faith that's marked by repentance. And repentance is more than an intellectual awareness that we have sinned. It certainly includes that. And we become aware that we have offended God's law, disobeyed it. But it's more than just what our mind grasps. I mean, enlightenment affects more than our rational thinking. Our emotions or our affections, because they're entwined, they are affected. And it's inevitable that when someone starts a Christian journey, they have this sorrow sorrow at having offended God after all every sin is the equivalent of throwing mud at God and when we become aware of that well that's who I am. I am a sinner. And we repent of that. I mean, Paul calls it godly sorrow. And it's a, once you've tasted it and can look back to when it started. We're not surprised that one of the covenanters when he was dying in the 
grass market in Edinburgh. In his closing speech, he said, Farewell, sweet repentance. But we don't just repent at the start. As that man's words indicate, it's something that just goes along with the, the lifestyle. It's a very prominent feature of a Christian's outlook. Repentance. Well, some people almost define it as another word for sanctification. As we come to God at any time in our Christian journey, it is always appropriate to confess our sins. And it's always appropriate to confess them with sadness, to be mourning. Happy to be in God's presence. But mourning at the same time. Something else that happens to disciples. Well, it's the words of Zechariah. I'm just going to read them. And it's. Although it's found in Zechariah chapter 12, it's Jesus that's speaking. Giving a advanced notice, we might say, of what's going to happen at the cross. Because verse 10 starts with, When they look on me, and the me there is Jesus. When they look on me, on him, whom they have pierced they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn it's entirely appropriate as we gaze at the cross and surely every day we should take time just to visit Calvary and as we look at the Savior, sure, there he is, paying the price to set us free. But we cost it. Every second of his agony, we cost it. And therefore, we must feel that. And therefore, we mourn. That's how the Christian life starts. We visit Calvary. That's how the Christian life continues. We don't somehow step past it and just have it as a memory. It's always there. And Calvary's a good place for being sorrowful, but always rejoicing. And there's other reasons that disciples should mourn. They discover how far short they come. No doubt some of us have been Christians for decades. And if someone had said to us on day number two of our Christian journey... Where do you think you'll be in 40, 50 years' time? We would have 
lots of aspirations but sadly well we say with John Newton don't we by the grace of God I am not what I should be but by the grace of God I am what I am but we're not what we would be either and we just have to lament the lack of the degree of progress that we should have made and it's appropriate to go into God's presence and say to him I am sorry that I am not more sanctified Of course, our lack of um, progress can lead to divine chastisement. And the author of Hebrews tells us that divine chastisement is never pleasant. Instead he says it's grievous. When the father, as it were, hides his face. And we're like groping in a dark room because the light has gone out. And we know why it's happened. And therefore we are sad. And it's good to know we can repent. And have the fellowship restored. And to have the beams of Christ the sun of righteousness shining again within us but when they're not happening we're sad and we can be mourning too because of the powerlessness of the church and when that happens we're like Daniel Daniel chapter 9 and He's got a real prayer there about the decline, as it were, of Israel. And Daniel himself personally was not declining. But the strange thing is in his prayer, as he laments the state of Israel, he keeps saying, we and us. He doesn't, as it were, put himself on a, on a staircase away above the others. He just says that I'm part of it. And that makes us mourn, doesn't it? Sure, the church today is not who it was a hundred years ago. But who's in this church today? Me. And you. And therefore we mourn at his powerlessness. We also mourn for the suffering saints throughout the world. I read a statistic last week that if somebody martyred every five minutes that means 14 people will have been martyred during the time of our service we should mourn somewhere in the world today on this Lord's Day morning over a hundred martyrs have died we should mourn over society as the psalmist says Psalm 119 rivers of waters flow down my eyes because they don't keep your law morning 
mourning at the sins around us. And also we mourn at the ineffectiveness of the gospel. We've all heard, this, I'm sure, of the visitor that went to McShane's church in, in Dundee and asked the beadle, tell me the secret of McShane's power. And the man took him down to the table where McShane used to study. And he said to the visitor, sit in the chair. Put your elbows on the table. Put your hand in your, put your head in your hands, and weep. That was the secret of McShane's power. Blessed are the mournful, and he was certainly blessed. Very briefly, some comfort. What comforts do we get for being mournful? Well, one comfort can be to do with our own assurance. Because it reveals we've got a desire for God's glory. Doesn't it? If our mourning is spiritual... We've got a real desire for God's glory. And that's comforting. It also reveals that the Holy Spirit is at work. Leading us to be mournful. And that helps our assurance. And therefore it's comforting. The fact we can say to ourselves, as we assess ourselves, the fact that these things make me sad indicates the Holy Spirit's at work in my heart. It indicates we're becoming Christ like, doesn't it? He was the man of sorrows. We are like him. When people see us, they should say that's what Jesus was like. That's comforting, isn't it? We're going to sing in a minute a wonderful verse from a psalm which says, God collects our tears in his bottle. wonderful picture but surely the psalmist had in mind a very big bottle and the thing about all these tears is that none of them evaporates God collects them I'm sure you collect something. I collect some things. Some of the things we collect, well, they're just hobbies. But other things we collect, they are very important for us. And the things that God collects are very important to Him. And He collects our tears in his bottle every one of them and I suppose he collects these tears because each drop is a sign of his working we get the comfort of spiritual restoration when we backslide we get the comfort of converts when God answers our prayer for them. With our
comforts. What should we do with our comforts? This is the last thing I'm going to say. We should share them. That's what Paul did, didn't he? There in the start in Second Corinthians, he shares the comfort with them that he himself has been comforted by God. If God has comforted me or comforted you this week, we should share it. We're not meant to be we're meant to be channels through which God's comfort flows. We're not meant to be stopping it. Because we don't know if the person we're speaking to needs to hear the comfort. And we should sanctify them. Here is the signs of the gracious God working in my heart. We should sanctify them. Build on them. And we should value them. It's not really surprising, is it, <clears throat> that Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, <clears throat> for they shall be comforted. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Lord, we give you thanks that you are the, the God who shows mercy to us it's a mercy that we know what Jesus was like it's a mercy that we know that he was affected by what he saw it's good for us to be affected by what we see as well whether in ourselves or in others whether as individuals or as countries or whatever help us to see the <coughs> counter-cultural value of Christ's kingdom and that we would know in our own experience the comfort that comes to the mournful Bless us with it even this day. So remember us, O Lord, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll sing in Psalm 56 in, in Scottish Psalter, page 287, verses 8 to 13. My wanderings all what they have been, you knowest their number took. Into thy bottle put my tears, are they not in thy book? Verses 8 to 13.
there's uh, tea and coffee after the service and be good if we could all wait behind for that. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with